Micah's right when he says that like we're, we're still kind of we're, nothing's changed in the last four days. It's not like a, a different. Everybody goes, oh, it's a new year. We're going to charge into it fresh. It's but like really, it's pretty much the same as it was four days ago. It's just on the calendar a little bit different now, you know. And uh, uh, it's interesting because we always kind of think of New Year's resolutions, things we want to do, things we want to be better at. I, I ran a lot in, uh, because Robert tricked me. He's around the corner somewhere, but Robert tricked me. We were going to run like 40 miles a month in October and then in November, and he signed us up for 60. Uh, and it was the most running I've ever done in my life. And so I, I ran a lot in October and in November, and then in December didn't do anything except for eat. And, uh, and so where I had been able to tighten my belt to another notch, that's gone back another notch now in December, you know. And you kind of think, okay, it's a new year. I got I to gotta get back to that notch I was on. You know, you know your, how your belt, men, you know how your belt shames you a little bit because it has that crease and the, and the holes stretched a little bit long in the one that you're trying to make it fit in, you know? Uh, and, and you just think, man, if I could just get to that next one. But when you get to the next one, your belt's misshapen because it's been so long in that, that the fatter hole, you know? Uh, and so, like, you kind of think, like, anyway, we... I kind of think, okay, I need to get in shape. I'm 45, you know. There's a part of me that I, I only see my my doctor once a year. I go for my annual checkup. I started doing that when I was 40. I'd never had a regular doctor before. So I thought at 40, okay, I'm going to see my regular doctor once a year so I can kind of get a baseline. And, like, I'm thinking I, I, I can't schedule my appointment yet because i got to get in shape before I go see him. Like, i gotta, I got to get in a little bit better shape before I go see my doctor, you know, so that – He's like, oh, hey, you're doing really great. You know, like that's kind of, and it's funny because then last night, Michelle and I were, we had just gotten home. Our boys were spending the night at the cousins and she goes, she goes, hey, are those cookies still in the car? And I was like, yeah. And it was kind of getting later and it was, it was cold. And she goes, you know, I, I don't need them right now. I was like, yeah, but we're going to want them before bed. So I went out to the car to get the cookies and came back in. And as I'm walking back in, I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't really care that I've moved to another belt <laughs> loop, you know, like another, like. I like cookies. Um, I like cake, you know, it, chocolate cake with a glass of milk. My, every night before I go to bed, I get a glass of milk and a spoonful of peanut butter, which in itself isn't too bad. But when you have, when you have a, a couple of those two-bite brownies with it, and then when you think, but they're only two-bite brownies, and so you get four of them because it's eight bites. What's eight bites, you know? Right? And when you have leftover Halloween candy, like it just... You know what I mean? Like you kind of get, I don't know about you, but I don't, I find this time of year to be really stressful for me. I find this time of year, I, I, I kind of go, man, all right, here's all the things you screwed up on last year. You got to do better at this. You got to do better at this. I, I had been working out for a few months and then that just completely fell apart the first of December and I haven't worked out in a month, you know, I, 121 days in a row. And then hundred, apparently day 122 was just too much. And I just done for a month. And so now like you got to start all over and anybody just kind of, you have all these expectations you put on yourself and all these things. And here's what I'm going to do. And here's, so I thought mostly for my sake, but hopefully it'll benefit you as well. I thought it would be great if we started off this year with a series of sermons, five sermons on how gracious God is, because I know this time of year, we might not be super gracious to ourselves, and we might be like, oh man, here's all the things I screwed up on last year that I'm going to be better about this year. I, 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 I tell myself, this is the year my garage stays clean. It won't be. Um, 
But it's good to say that to yourself. And it's really good that when my garage isn't clean in six months, that I can remember these sermons that we're going to do for the next five weeks, that God is gracious in the midst of all the things that we've done wrong so or failed at or done not to our own standards. So here's what we have on tap today. Our theology today is this. It is in God's character to be full of grace. It is in God's character to be full of grace. Our application today is we must understand our God as a gracious God. And our prayer today is, God, we praise you for the tireless way you lavish your grace on mankind. I want us to understand that it is the character of God to be gracious. I had an interesting talk with somebody the other day, um, and uh, uh, it's, it's a friend of mine from San Antonio, and she was saying that she has just this year, after years of being a Christian, 30 years of being a Christian and reading the Bible, just this year she came to the place where she enjoyed the Old Testament. And she said that part of the reason that it took her so long to get to where she enjoy, enjoyed the Old Testament was because all growing up she had kind of been taught that the Old Testament God's different than the New Testament God, that the Old Testament God is angry and hostile and full of wrath and vengeance and fire and brimstone, and that the New Testament God is butterflies and daisies and frolicking through fields and yay, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? And, 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 uh, and, and so she said, you know, I've realized, though, that the the the, the God we serve is the God we serve, Old Testament or New. And I think that what I've, what I've encountered in 25 years of pastoring is a lot of people say, man, I just, I don't think, I, I've had people straight up tell me, I, I will not serve God if he's like the God of the Old Testament. And what I want to do is go, I think you've misunderstood the God of the Old Testament. Because he is just as full of grace and mercy and love as what we perceive the God of the New Testament is. God hasn't changed. It is his character to be gracious. It's not counterintuitive for him to be gracious. It's not contrary to who he is to be gracious. And, and there's, this, there's this verse, I've used it here before. This will not be the last time you hear it. But Exodus 34, 6, when God introduces himself again to Moses, in Exodus 34, 6, God says this, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, and, and, and so when God reintroduces himself to Moses, and it's really key, it's important for us to understand when God does this. So Moses has been up on the mountain, he's received the Ten Commandments, and, and the people down, uh, down at the base of the mountain in the camp, Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days. Moses is the leader of the people of God at this point. And he's brought the people to Mount Sinai, and Moses says, I'm going to go meet with God, I'm going to be up there for a little bit. When I'm done, I'll come back. I'll tell you what God said. And Moses goes up onto the mountain, and he's gone for 40 days, which for the people down here, they're like, man, I guess he's gone. I don't know what happened. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, never mind, that was too dark. <laughs> Whew, all right. Um, it, it, it's like, um, it, I don't know, like, uh, I, I'm the kind of person that likes details. I like to know information. I, I like as much information as I can get. So when somebody says, hey, we're going to go over here for a short time. I want to know what a short time is because sometimes people are like, you know, like for a day. And for me, a short time is like an hour, you know? Like if, if I have to mentally prepare. If you're inviting me into a, a situation like where there's a lot of people that I don't know and you say, hey, Ryan, Jayton's like, hey, Ryan, come hang out with me. We're going to go do this thing. And we're just going to be there for a little bit. And I, I'm really awkward around people I don't know, and I'm really uncomfortable around people I don't know. So if he says, man, we're just going to be there for a little bit, and then we're there for like 10 hours, I'm stressed out in the corner, you know, like stress eating the two-bite brownies, right? Like that's me. 
uh, because mentally I've prepared to be there for an hour. When he's, does that make sense? Like we have these. So Moses goes, I'm going to go up and meet with God for a little bit. Somewhere in the 40 days, the people just gave up. They're just like, he's gone. We have no idea where he is. And they're like, so now what do we do? We were people, we were slaves in Egypt where we at least had food and beds and houses. And now we're living out in the middle of the desert. We've been out here for three months. Now what do we do? Moses went up on the mountain, but he's gone. And, and the people are just like, I guess we're done. And so they say to Aaron, Moses' brother, they're like, give us a new God. Moses gave us that God. He went to meet with that God. He didn't come back. We don't know. So Aaron goes, okay, everybody give me your earrings and your bracelets. And then Aaron makes a golden calf and says, here's your new God. Let's bow down and worship this. He literally said, like Aaron has met face to face with God. In fact, just a few days before this happened, Aaron had gone up on the mountain with Moses, had had lunch with God. God invited 70 of the elders and Moses and Aaron to have lunch with him. Aaron has been in the presence of the living God. Moses goes up for a few days. Aaron's going, I don't know. Here, here's a golden cow. Let's just bow down and start worshiping this. It's ludicrous. God says to Moses, your people have turned away from me. And you got to think that Moses felt a little bit like, whoa, my people, (laughs) your people have turned away. Like Moses is distancing himself from them. God goes, you know what? I'll just kill them all. That's what God says. I'll kill them all. We'll start all over with you, Moses. Moses goes, no, God, you can't do that because people have heard of your grace. And so Moses goes down. There's some discipline that happens to the people. The golden calf is broken into pieces. And then Moses goes back up to meet with God. And in the midst of all this sin and in the midst of all this failure, God says to Moses, here's who I am. In the midst of this sin, in the midst of this failure, I am the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This isn't God saying this about himself out of a really happy situation. It's easy, golly, it is easy for us to say, uh, we've, we've talked about this, Mike has talked about this when he's led worship before, like, it's easy for us to say, I, I'm happy right now, when everything's going the way you expect it to go, and it's difficult for us to say, I'm happy right now, when everything's going contrary to the way we expect it to go. Right? When things meet our expectations, we tend to feel a little bit more at ease. We sleep a little bit better at night. When things are going counter to our expectations, we're unhappy. God isn't gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love because the Israelites are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. They're going, I see the mountain covered in smoke. I hear the thunder. I see the lightning. I see it covered in fire. The whole ground is trembling. The voice of God is like trumpets, but let's bow down to this golden statue. And God goes, oh, uh -uh. (laughs) no, no. And then Moses goes back up to meet with God, and God still, in the midst of that, says, I am the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That character of God is coming out of the midst of sin. And this language is used all throughout the Bible. And every time that God is revealed as this, he's revealed as this in the midst of sin, in the midst of failure, in the midst of falling short, in the midst of not measuring up, in the midst of of being less than God has called someone to be, in the middle of everything falling apart, when everything is going counter to the way that God has asked for it to go or for the people to do or for the people to serve him, when everything is going uh, to hell in a handbasket, God in that moment says, hey, I just want to remind you who I am. Why? 
Why is it that he leads with this? Why when everything, when the people are turning away from him and rejecting him, why is it that he leads with, hey, I just want you to remember I'm God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. I've said this before, but I will never, ever tire of saying it. It isn't God's judgment. It isn't the fear of God's judgment that brings us into salvation. It's God's grace that brings us into salvation. It's his mercy that draws us to him. We, we don't come to God trembling because I'm, I'm coming to you so you won't smite me. We come to him because we know he's going to be gracious and kind. Romans chapter 2 tells us that it is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. It's, the, it's his mercy, it's his compassion, it's his grace that brings us into his presence, that, that draws us near to him. And, and so let me, let me read another text to you. <laughs> I want you to, I, I won't read it, I'll paraphrase it for you. You may remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. I want you to tell them who I am. I want you to tell them that judgment is coming. I want you to ask them to repent. Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. He gets swallowed up by a big fish. The fish vomits him up three days later, and then Jonah ends up going. When God says, okay, you ready to go to the Ninevites? Jonah goes, I'm in. I'll go. I'll go tell them. And Jonah goes, and he tells the Ninevites, hey, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. And they do. And God rescues them. And then Jonah says this. In Jonah 4.2, he goes, this is why I didn't want to come and tell the Ninevites about you. Because I know that you're gracious and compassionate. Get that for a moment. Jonah didn't want the wicked Ninevites, the people who had oppressed the Israelites, the people who had oppressed Jonah's nation. Jonah didn't want them to be saved. And he goes, man, if I go and preach to them about who you are, God, you're going to save them. I know that that's what you're going to do because you're gracious and compassionate. Who wasn't gracious and compassionate towards the Ninevites? Jonah. But he knows the character of God. And he knows that the character of God is grace and mercy. And he goes, I don't want to go preach to him because these wicked people are going to get saved. Why are they going to get saved? Because you're a good God. And it ticks Jonah off. And you're like, come on, dude. But let's be honest. Some of us have felt that way. Maybe not about a whole nation of people, but, you know, that one guy. That one person in your family. <laughs> you're like, I don't know about them, God. Like, do what you can, I guess. But really, like, they've really screwed up. But Jonah knows the character of God, that he's gracious and compassionate. Listen to this text. It's one of my favorites. It comes from the book of Joel. It's quoted for us in uh, the book of Romans. And, and Joel is pronouncing judgment. God's judgment is coming. And listen to what he says. So he's talking, I'm not, I'm not going to read you the entire chapter, but he's talking about how God's judgment is coming against idolatrous uh, Israel and Judah. And then listen to what he says. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. So here you are. You're a wicked you're a sinner. And, and here's what's coming. You're going to be taken into captivity and your nation is going to be destroyed. But don't let that happen, God says. Return to me. <coughs> Excuse me. Break your heart. Break your heart before me. Return to me. And he says, for I am compassionate and gracious and merciful, slow to anger. And then, he, and then here's what he says. Here's what the prophet Joel says. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So that's Joel 2, 12 through 14. 
So listen, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of all their sin, in the midst of all their rebellion, in the midst of all their idolatry, God's message to them through the prophet Joel is, look, just repent. Just turn your face back to me, God says. He goes, he goes why? Because I'm gracious and compassionate. He goes, who knows? Who knows? Maybe the blessing is given instead of the curse. Maybe, maybe the lavish love of God and he pours out on us goodness instead of sorrow. He's like, like, just rend your heart before God. Break your heart before God. We know how compassionate he is. And that's the character of God. That is the desire of God. It, it is not the desire of God to pour out wrath on you. And then he decided, well, here's an option for grace. It is the desire of God to pour out grace on you. And there is an unfortunate side effect of wrath when we don't come under the grace. There is a, there is a side effect of judgment. Grace isn't, the, grace isn't like the, the thing on the side of the character of God. It is his character, it's his nature. In the book of Ezekiel, a couple of times, right when the, when the Israelites are at their worst, when they've been idolatrous for years, when all the priests have turned away from God, when they're at their worst, God says to them in the book of Ezekiel, he, he says this, I don't desire that any of you would perish, but that all of you would come to life. There's an interesting context there. He's speaking specifically to these Israelites that he's pronounced judgment against. But he goes, look, I, he goes, the Babylonians are coming. This army is coming, and they're going to destroy you, but I don't want you to die. I want you to know me. I want you to repent. I want you to have life. Like, it is the character of God to give them mercy. Listen to this text out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30. Again, rebellious people, people who are sinning against God, people who have rejected God, in the midst of this, God says this, All you stubborn, I'm beginning in verse 1, all you stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not by my spirit, and they heap sin on top of sin. They set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. They take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the protection of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt will be your hum humiliation. And then listen to what he says. So he, he pronounces all this stuff, all this judgment on him. And he's saying, so here's what he's told him. He goes, man, you are stubborn people. He goes, you devise a plan, but it's not my plan, says God. You're turning to Egypt for help instead of me for help. He goes, you've rejected me. You've walked away from me. You're, you're serving the nation of Egypt now. You're, you're asking Egypt to be your rescuer, your rescuer and your deliverer. And so he's, he's telling them, like, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. And then listen to verse 18, Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of just, justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. In the midst of this sin, in the midst of this rejection of God, God is pleading with them through the prophet, and he goes, God longs to be gracious to you. You're turning away from him. You've rejected him. You've gone to Egypt. You're relying on other people. But God longs to be gracious to you. Now, be very careful here. You and I are not the nation of Israel. In every one of these examples... Uh, Israel has rejected God for idols. Israel has rejected God. So I, I don't want you hearing me say, what's your idol today? I, I don't teach like that. I don't believe that that's what the text is teaching. Uh, we are worshipers of God. We are not idolaters. 
not at least according to the scripture, okay? And, and, and so, but what I want you to notice, here's what I want you to notice. When Israel, the nation, was at its worst, when the, Israel, when the nation of Israel was at its worst, when they had rejected God, when they had turned to idols, when the priests were teaching false things, when the scribes were recording false things, when the prophets, not the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel prophets, but there were false prophets who were rising up who were proclaiming false things. In the midst of this, the very heart of God was like, look, just come back to me. I have grace for you. I have mercy for you. I have more mercy for you, more grace for you than you've ever imagined. He goes, I long, I'm waiting, I'm desiring to heap grace on you. And here's what I want you to understand. These are people who were not worshipers of God at this point. So I want you to consider this for a moment, and this is going to bring us to our application. We must understand our God as a gracious God. I want you to think about this. You and I who have put faith in God, you and I who are righteous through faith, you and I who have received the grace of God through faith, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. The grace of God has saved us because we believe in the grace of God. We believe in the mercy of God. We believe in the kindness of God. I want you to think about this for just a minute. If God can say to people who are not Christians, who are not people of faith, who are people, people who are idolaters, if he can say to them, look, I'm pleading with you. I just want to show you grace. Why in the world, Christian, do we struggle with accepting the grace of God in our life when we are actually part of his family? We are people who by faith have his righteousness. We are people who by faith bear his, bear his righteousness and his holiness. And we have been made holy and set apart as holy. And we have been called people who belong to him. And we are, we are grafted into his family. And yet so many of us, and maybe not you, maybe it's just me. But I sometimes go, yeah, but God, do you like me today? I'm not an idolater. I haven't rejected the king. I'm not bowing down to a statue of gold. I'm not someone who is lying about who he is or deceiving myself or my family about who he is. I know the name Jesus. I know the Father God. I know the spirit he's sealed with me with. I'm not someone who's rejected him. And if people can reject him and he says, I want to give you grace, how much more so then is there grace available for you and I who belong to him? Quit thinking that God is waiting with a backhand to beat you into, the, you know, into submission and obedience and start believing and understanding that if he can say to people who bow down to the golden calf, I have grace for you, then we who have been marked by the blood of Jesus, there is an abundance of grace, an excellence of grace for us. And however you have failed or consider that you have failed this past year is nothing compared to the measureless, tireless, limitless grace of God. However far gone you think you are or however short you think you are in terms that you don't measure up and you're not what you should be, the grace of God is higher and richer and deeper still. We must believe that our God is a gracious God. I mean, honestly, honestly, that's at the core of our salvation. Our faith is in the gracious God who has provided life for us through Jesus Christ. It's not on my own merit. It's not on my own work. It's not on my own standard. The, you ever heard somebody say, you know what, I've just got to put more faith in myself. 
They're starting a job. They're starting a company. They're, they're, they're trying to get in shape. They're trying to do this thing or that thing or be a better husband or be a better wife or be a better parent. I just need to put a little more faith in myself. That's not the teaching of Scripture. You can't, you're not putting faith in yourself. You might use that language, but you're, you're not putting, like, that's not faith. That's saying, I got this covered. That's your strength, your effort. And that is not the God we serve. God says, look, I got this. He said to the people here in Isaiah, he goes, he goes, why are you going to Egypt instead of coming to me? Why are you relying on something outside of me? I have grace for you. I have mercy for you. I have provision for you. I, I, I don't want you to go into this year. I don't want you to start this year. What is it, the third day of January? I, I don't want you to start this year thinking, here are the things I need to be better at. Because inevitably... When you don't measure up to whatever your standard is, you're going to condemn yourself. You're going to be upset with yourself. You're going to go, wow, that lasted a whole day. And you're going to feel like you haven't measured up. And what I want you to know is that your ability to measure up has never been the standard. The grace of God has always been the standard. Make a goal to read a book a month. Make a goal to go run or to work out or to be kinder or to be less stressed or fine, you know, to clean your garage finally, you know. Like make, make goals. If you're a goal-type person, make them. But don't put any faith in those things. Put your faith in the God who says, I wait, I long to be gracious to you. And then cut yourself a little bit of slack. He's not looking to be gracious to the people who are trying. He's looking to be gracious to everyone. Some of us still have this mindset that I've just, I just need to try a little bit harder. I just need to deserve his grace. That's not grace. Deserved grace is not grace. God, in his character, wants to show you grace. You set out to read the Bible this past year and you didn't. Okay, so what? You set out to memorize 100 verses this past year and you didn't. Okay, so what? You set out to be more deliberate with your tithe, but you weren't. Okay, so what? We serve a God who has in his character grace. And so we readily come to him, not for fear of being reprimanded, not for fear of being cast aside. We readily come to him because we expect and know and understand that in his presence there is grace. Let that be the beginning of our mindset for 2021. Instead of us being people who say, this year I try harder. This year I'll be better. This year I'll do more. Let us, let us if anything, if there's anything we're going to commit to, let us be people who say, I commit to know and understand that I serve a God who's gracious.
to know and understand that I serve a God who's gracious. And when your marriage is in trouble, you serve a God who's gracious. And when you don't know how to raise your kids, you serve a God who's gracious. And when your job comes to an end and you don't know how you're going to make it to the next month or the next week, you serve a God who's gracious. And so instead of all these hundreds of things that we're trying to do to manage our job and to manage our time and to manage our family and to manage our marriage and to manage our money, instead of all these hundreds of things and the list grows and grows and grows, let us be people who say, I know and believe that I serve a God who's gracious. And now the job and the family and the marriage and the money and these things seem not to be such a big deal. Because my mind with single focus, laser focus, is set on the God who longs to be gracious. Man, I want you, we're going to spend five weeks on this. I, I want you to believe this and know that it is the character of God to be gracious. I want you to believe and know that it matters, that we must understand our God as a gracious God. Believe that. Let that resonate in you. Let it strengthen you and empower you and encourage you and give you life. And, and when, when tomorrow doesn't go like you have planned for it to go, then at the end of the day, instead of going, well, man, I really screwed up today, then maybe, just maybe, I have a lot of days like that. I, I, I am a pessimist. I am self-condemning. I stress about things I don't need to stress about. I worry about things I shouldn't worry about. And maybe, maybe by the end of this year, I have fewer of those days and more days where I go, man, I am grateful for the grace of God. So today didn't measure up. Today didn't look like I hoped it would look. But golly, God's grace is beautiful. And that brings us to our prayer. God, we praise you for the tireless way you lavish your grace on mankind. We praise you for the tireless way you lavish your grace on mankind. Would you take a moment, just a moment. I don't know what New Year's resolutions you've already made. I don't know what what goal you're already holding yourself to. I don't know what thing you think you must do to be a better person. If it's lose weight, if it's get in shape, if it's put aside more money, if it's be more patient, if it's whatever it is. I don't know. But I do know that we serve a God who has in his character grace. Would you just take a moment? Would you just ask that God would remind you and write it on your heart, your mind, your soul, that, you, that God is a God who is gracious. Would you take a moment just to pray that? God, remind me that you are a God who is gracious.
God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's in your character to be gracious. Thank you that it isn't contrary to who you are, that we don't have to come to you out of fear for judgment, but we, we come to you out of expectation of grace, out of expectation of kindness, out of expectation of mercy. That wherever we perceive that we have failed and wherever we maybe have, that all of those things are buried, buried by your kindness, overthrown by your compassion, eradicated by your grace. That in you we have confidence, confidence to fail a little bit today and still be loved, confidence to not get everything right and still be accepted. Confidence to not be 100% who we thought we should be and still be adored by the Father in heaven who made us and fashioned us and knows every single one of our days before one of them came to pass, who calls us his own, who has forgiven us, who has covered us by the blood of Christ, who has wiped us clean, who has called us righteous, who has called us holy, who has called us forgiven and loved and adored, who has brought us into your fellowship, Lord God, by your grace. And I hope, I hope as you're listening to this, you guys right here in this room, I hope that this is stirring you up and encouraging you and reminding you who you are. And if you would now, just take a moment to praise God for his grace, for the grace that he has lavished upon you, for the grace that he lavishes upon us, for the grace that's available for tomorrow and the day after and the day after, for the grace that's available to those who don't even know him yet, for the grace of God that is available for everything. Take a moment just to praise him, to thank him, to adore him for what he has poured out for us.